Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Oh, guys, good morning. My name is Blake, and I'm going to talk to you today about something that is big on my heart. Let's go ahead and make some noise. Let's welcome Mount Carmel, Carlinville, E. Rhodes family, and first-time guests. Woo! It is an honor to be in the house. I never take it lightly. Um, the fact that I get to, to minister today on Father's Day um, is such a blessing. Do we have some daddy-o's out there? Do I have some daddy-o's in the house? Just wave at me, dads. We love you. Hey, none of us are here without you. I'm just saying. So, uh, <laughs> Science. No. <laughs> Got a little biological there, A and P, you know. No, but hey, I, I am I am thrilled about families. I am so passionate. Um, I, I'm gonna tell you what. God is all about family. In the book of Genesis, chapter one, God created a man and a woman. And he brought them together in the garden. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. God orchestrated and organized and created the first family. And then he said, he said, go out and make more. And I'm telling you what, family is the heartbeat of heaven. Oh, you guys get ready. All right? Because this is what I know. Our message title today is Leaving Babylon. All right, and this is something that God started to download and put into my heart probably about a year ago. All right, when I talk about Babylon, this is what I want you to hear. Babylon is the world system, the world culture. It is inherently evil because it is opposite to kingdom culture and what the standard of heaven says. And so I believe that we are, we are moving into a time when people are being called out of Babylon. That means that people are awakening to the fact that their lives have been tethered to an entity, to a culture that has been manipulating and guiding them in a false narrative towards hell. And God is saying, my body, my bride is waking up to this fact and I am leading them out starting with families. I believe that God is dealing with people right now to move them, oh, come on, somebody, relocate them, revocate them, change mindsets. I believe that there is a shift going on in the spiritual that's coming through through the natural, that God is moving people and positioning them with purpose for the coming revival that is beginning and generating through families. See, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wound up about this because uh, my wife was teaching and she was talking about how any revivals through the ages have always waned at some point in time. Listen, there's been great revivals, but at some point in time, there was a waning. But, there, but we believe that God is stirring up revivals that begin in families that are going to be passed on from generation to generation to generation that will not wane because it is flowing through the culture and the standard of our homes. Come on, somebody. But see, it begins with you and me and moms and dads. It begins with moms and dads. 
taking a stand for their home and for their family. It begins with dads. Can I talk to you, daddies? It begins with you being as passionate about your kids and your families and your homes and the things of God over them as you are about anything else. There's this lie that is out there perpetrated from the enemy that says dads can be passionate and zeal about, zealous about anything. They have to be stoic. Dudes. Sup. I'll grunt my acceptance and affirmation at you. Ugh. Which is fine. I know we have different bents. But here's what I know. No matter what your bent is, you have a passion inside of you. Men are passionate individuals. Women do not own a monopoly over passion. We are all created in the image of God. And the fervor and the passion of Jesus is inside of you. The same passion that took him to the cross. Because he said, I would rather die than let them die. That's some, that same bold passion is inside of you men. And that is what our families need. They need us leading out in a way that we empower, that we protect, and we go after Jesus with the same fervor that we go after a hobby, after our job, after a ball game, after a sporting event. God needs men standing up with that passion. Because their kiddos have to see it. If our kiddos don't see it, then guess what? Guess who fills the space of truth in our home? Babylon. World culture. World systems. That's what fills the space when good men do nothing. Come on. Somebody got their Bibles. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Listen, I know we were talking leaving Babylon and Babylon representing that world power, that world system, the world's way of looking at everything. And we're going to see here in the scripture from Daniel, this isn't a new playbook of the enemy. The enemy has been manipulating truth from the get-go. We can go back to the garden and see the manipulation of truth with Adam and Eve. He is a manipulator. His heart for you and humankind is to kill you, to destroy your family, to separate moms and dads, to confuse what a mom and a dad are, and to overall Chernobyl, the nucleus of heaven, which is family. But guess what? He doesn't get to offer and define what family is. Done been done. Daniel 1, are you there? Can we talk about it? Here's how it starts. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, I did it again, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I know what you're thinking. He did a really good job with Nebuchadnezzar, but he butchered that Jehoiakim. I'm not clear on whether Nebuchadnezzar butchered him or not. No. Too real. Too real. The Bible's bloody. No. All right. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Whoa. Hold on. Do you guys see what's happening in scripture? Babylon, 
The Babylonian Empire has came up against Judah and Israel. And they have besieged the city of Jerusalem. And the king of Judah is being given over to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. But whoa! This is the throne that is supposed to be an heirloom of the kingdom of David. And it's falling. Why is it falling? That's the question that comes to mind for me. Because if God said, but remember what God said and how he said it. He began a covenant with David. And a covenant means there is accountability and responsibility on both sides. The kingdom of Israel will stand with a son of David on the throne as long as Israel continues to serve and follow after God. Come on, somebody. But guess what started to happen? The leadership within Israel, the people of Israel, begin to break that covenant. Sin happened. Sin. You know, there's this, there's this move to whitewash sin. Where, where sin, it's not, it's whatever you want and whatever you feel. There isn't any sin in the world. It's just people, people doing what they feel. Here's what I know. If there is no sin in the world, then why did Jesus have to die? Jesus died because sin is real and we all sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God and we are in need of a savior. I cannot save myself. And Israel, the reason that they fell was because they began to sin and continue sinning and continue sinning. Sin is open rebellion to God, and they stayed in open rebellion. Even when Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the prophets came and said, turn, 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 stop doing this. And then they even laid out what the Lord had against them. You, you no longer keep me number one. You have made all these treaties with pagan nations, and now you're worshiping their gods. And he went down through all the, the, all the commandments and laid at the feet of Israel all the ways that they had broken covenant and sinned against God. Ezekiel 16 even says that Israel offered their sons and daughters as sacrifices. That is why Israel fell. Because... They forsook the ways of God. They sinned and stayed in open rebellion. And so the covenant and the protection that God had promised and put upon them was null and void at that moment. But guess what? God is still good because he'll still honor his word when we don't. He was preparing a remnant within the people of Israel that would still stand on the truth. You still got your Bibles? All right, let's read on. Verse 3. So then the king commanded his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel. Watch this. Both of the royal family and of nobility. Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Watch what he's bringing them there for. And to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that they ate, that he ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be there for three years, 
And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now think about this. Militarily, Nebuchadnezzar had already conquered Israel. Israel was conquered militarily, but he wasn't done there. Right? There, is, there was more to the plan of action. And this isn't, a, this isn't a new ploy. This is a ploy that the enemy has been working forever. All right? But what does he do? He takes the influential, young, pretty, smart, talented individuals, and he takes them out of Israel, and he brings them to Babylon. Why did he remove them from Israel and bring them to Babylon? So that he could re-educate them in the ways of the Babylonians. His plot was not just to sack Jerusalem. His plot was to push the kingdom of God out of them and replace it with the teaching of Babylon. That is what the world has always tried to do with believers is to try to replace the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lies of the enemy. Yeah. It's not a new ploy, but it's a plan. And it's a plan that, that Babylon always seeks to, pour, to bring forth. Essentially, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing was creating influencers. There wasn't TikTok or Insta or Facebook but these young, pretty, influential individuals were being established to do the same thing. To go in and to influence Israel culture to become Babylonian culture. But guess what? God still was preparing a remnant. You guys still with me? Let's go. Let's jump back in here. There was a man called Daniel. And see, I believe that there are moms and dads that are moving in this Daniel anointing and in the spirit of Daniel. Because we have to have, we have to have people that will stand in the gap and hold the line for the things of God. See, this, this re-education isn't new. Rome did it. Greece did it. Hitler through Nazi Germany and fascist beliefs did it. There was a reason that the, edu the education czar within Hitler's education world began to push every Jew, one, out of the classroom and out of the textbook. It began to rewrite textbooks to, to uh, teach their people how evil the Jew was. He created an environment where Jew, even pro-Jew Germans couldn't speak openly. Come on, somebody, this isn't a new plan. This is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get Babylon in you so that it gets in your family so that the devil can steal, kill, and destroy within your life. Okay, but here's what I know, is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that is why we've got to have dads and moms who are standing strong in homes to begin to release truth and to teach kids the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Look at what Daniel did, okay? Uh, verse, let's go to verse 8. This is Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved. Come on, Daniel set his mind. That he would not, somebody say, would not, would not, defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. I believe that in this season, those Daniels are being lifted up. Yeah. 
And they are individuals who will, deny, who will not defile themselves or their families with the food, the teaching, the message of Babylon. Had it's necessary and it's needed. Come on, I want to show you something. Daniel begins to hold this line. And when Daniel starts to hold the line, watch what, watch what heaven does. Verse 9. He asked, the chief, he asked the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. When you begin to step up and hold the line and you are standing on the truth of heaven, I want you to know that God is not going to leave you alone in this mess. God is going to empower and open up doors of favor for you. Think about when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the iron furnace. When he got in the iron furnace... Come on, somebody. Why were they put there? Because they would not bow down and worship an image of King Nebuchadnezzar. They would not worship the message of Babylon and the king himself. Why? Because they had one king. We cannot bow our knee to another king that is contrary to God. And when we stand in firm faith in the fact that we are not going to compromise our faith... For Babylon, God shows up. Amen. He didn't leave them to burn in the fiery furnace. In fact, it says, when Nebuchadnezzar said, crank it up four times hotter or a million times hotter or a thousand times hotter, because sometimes when you take a stand for what is truth, it gets harder. Yeah. Why does it get harder? Because you're standing against hell and hell gets mad. And so it starts to growl and roar and make a lot of noise. But I want you to know something. He goes around like a roaring lion, but he's a baby kitty. You've got the lion of the tiger of Judah inside of you. So when you get up, here's the thing. When you stand firm, he needs to get afraid of your roar. You're not afraid of him. Your daddy is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he doesn't leave you alone. When that heat comes up, he is right there in the midst. But you've got to take the stand. See, during my lifetime, I've seen the church take this passive, acquiesce approach to just back down and relegate ourselves to the house. And then what starts to happen is Babylon gets louder because they're not backing down. When we yield and we bend the knee to their message and we don't release our message, then guess what? It just gets louder on their end. So you, we are called to stand and release the good news of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the reason that people are hurting and, 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 and confused is that good men and women haven't released truth. When Daniel took a stand, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a stand, do you know what they ensured? That Israel would not die. That's what their stand does. Is that it keeps... Come on, somebody... When you take a stand in your home and in your family for your kids, 
for what is truth over them. When you take that stand and you say, listen, I know there's all these voices and there's all this talk, but this is what God says. This is what the kingdom says. When you said and you helped them process through the lies, but you reveal the truth, you are training them up in the ways they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. It is this Malachi 4-6 season. God is preparing you, moms and dads, to take a stand, to release truth in your home, within your house, within your community, within your job. Malachi 4.6 says this, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. See, dads, we got a major responsibility we got a responsibility to lead in our homes. Now listen, I'm not talking about some archaic, my way is gospel. I'm talking about leading as Christ-led. You know, the scripture in Ephesians says that the wife shall submit to the husband, that the husband will lay down his life for his wife. A husband is to die for his family. That means he is to pour out his life as an offering for his kids and for his wife. I feel like it's a, far, it's a far higher call. Come on, somebody. But it's our responsibility, men, to not, be, to not be sitting on the sidelines of our home and our family. For too long, men have been relegated to a passive approach to doing life within their home. You are called to be the head of your family alongside your wife. You two working together, co-leading in that environment. And I'm telling you what, when you come together, there is nothing more powerful than a husband and a wife submitted to God, leading their family, and that is how revival begins. I'm going to tell you what, I've seen, I've seen family done good, and I've seen it done terrible. My grandma and grandpas on both sides of my family, they were married for over 50 years before they went to be with the Lord, save, Miss, save Lana, who's still living. My mom and dad were divorced before I was two. I've went through divorce of my parents, blended families, more divorce of my parents, more blended families, more divorce of my parents, more blended family. And I want to tell you what I saw was the plan of the enemy who just wants to come in and separate and divide and kill the revival and the heart of God in the home. So dads, you have the responsibility to stand and to fill that gap because if you don't fight for your family that is your call you are called to empower and to protect that home those kids and that lady I'm a medal just a little bit because there's too many men that have mistresses and I'm not talking about another woman I'm talking about something else that gets your affection and your love more than your family and your wife that can be a job, that can be a hobby, that can be another interest. But at the end of the day, you are called to have no other mistress save your woman Amen. and your home. That's where your love and affection should go. Oh, come on. Here, where are we at? Go to Proverbs 22.6. I said it, but let's read it. God is calling these, these fathers to just turn their hearts to their kids. And your kids are needing that. 
They need you to be there speaking truth to them, loving them, helping them, affirming who they are in Christ. Come on, somebody. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart. What are we training up our kids for? We are training them up into the kingdom of heaven so that they know know God. They know his truth. They know his heart. Because if we don't train them into the kingdom, Babylon is more than happy to fill those gaps and to fill that space. If you don't tell them what is truth, then they're not going to know truth. Because you know society currently is trying to just even deconstruct not only family, not only fatherhood and motherhood, but truth. So that we can, do, we can do that whitewashing of sin thing we talked about. Where everybody can just do what they want or feel and it doesn't matter. Heaven says it matters. And so it matters. Okay, Proverbs 22, 6. See, the enemy's agenda is to come in and to steal, kill, and destroy. It does that by indoctrinating kiddos in lies of the enemy. But guess what? It actually probably starts with your own re-education and your acquiescence to stand in the gaps for what comes into the home. It's our responsibility. It's our duty and our call on our watch. Okay, so Jesus says, yeah, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give your family abundant life. Somebody say life. And in abundance. That's what God promises. So how do, we, how do we do that? Well, we begin to reprioritize and focus on the presence of the living God. If you have your Bibles, keep turning to Numbers. Numbers 2, chapter 2. See, I just know that God is stirring up families to become intentional about their values, about their first love. The Lord has been leading, has been leading families back to being intentional about their life and, and refocusing on the, on the kingdom of heaven and the spirit and presence of the living God. Look at this in Numbers chapter 2. Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. Okay, so let's talk about this real quick. So when the Israelites would go out to, out to war, they would take the, t- and, and the tabernacle was going with them. Now remember, the tabernacle is the place where the high priest went in, offers, uh, offers sacrifice. The presence of the living God would come and fill the temple. So that when we talk about tabernacle of meeting, we're talking about the presence of the Lord. How did Israel position itself around that? They had families group together and turn to face the presence. That was how they went to battle. That is how they went to war. That is how they set up their camp, together in families facing the presence of God. Come on, somebody. That's talking to you. That's talking to those people that are saying, our family has got to reorient and repurpose what our first love is, what we're going to focus on, what's going to be our core values in our home. Oh, come on. 
don't know if you guys know this or not. I'm a grade school principal. It's what I've done. I'm starting year 10 as a principal. Year 19 in education, I know what you're thinking. You look way too young. Did you start when you were like five? Bless God, yeah, probably what it is. I, I think that's probably true and accurate. So I don't know if you know this, but there was this thing called COVID uh, that happened uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I'm not making light, but I'm also, yeah. So I, as, an, as an educator, it changed everything. Um, it became a real heavy lift uh, to do what we're called to do. And uh, in the midst of this, I, I'm, a, I'm a family first guy. Um, I value my home and my family, love my kiddos, love my wife. I want to do all I can to make sure they know that uh, they are the most important spot in my heart uh, with, with God on top, right? And so, like, in the midst of all this COVID stuff, like, there's all, this new th- there's all these new things. There's contact tracing, and, and, and this kid can be back here and back back there, and there's, there's all these safety protocols, and then there's navigating the community. And I don't know if you know or not, but it got a little political. Um, and so there's, there's, all of, there's all of this going on to the point that, like, my lines started to blur. I'm a pretty good boundary guy um, with my home, or at least I thought I was, but my, my boundaries started to blur, I'm doing more work at home, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the phone, and I'm wanting to be home, or I'm dealing with this. And you know what I found out? I got real unhappy. I got real stressed out. I mean, it was to the point where Promise was like, babe, do you need to do something else? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Sincerely. I mean, that's where my heart was. And, and we were like, well, we've got we've to talk to Jesus, because here's what I know. God called me to be where I am. And until God moves me, I ain't moving. Come on, bad grammar and all. I'm going to stay where God has planted me. Because the safest place to be, the best place to be, is smack dab in the in middle of where the will of God has positioned you. And listen, I'm going to tell you what. If God spoke to put you someplace, he is good enough and big enough and cares enough to speak to move you. Now, I know that we are in a season of shifting where people are getting shifted and realigned for purpose and planning. And I just want to encourage you, if that is you, if God is speaking to you, then just lean in because God will never lead lead you into a place that you're not meant to be with him. All right, so here I am, and, and I'm like, I've got I've to just double down and, and talk to Jesus. And Jesus, he's so good. When you ask of God, God responds. And so God begins to show me that, that my gaze had moved. My gaze on his presence and his leading had moved. And I was, I was just in my work world. And see, isn't that what Babylon wants you to do? It wants you to get about what, what you're doing and turn you into a human doing instead of a human being, right? And so I was over there consumed with this, and God said, it's time to make a change. And his change was to reprioritize my life. I had to reestablish my first love, my first love of him and my home and my family. He led me to 1 Peter 5.8. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. And the Lord explains in this the importance of being well balanced. Come on, because this is what will happen with, I don't know if it happens with, with everybody, but it happens with me, is that I feel like I can do all the things. 
Well, yeah, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And before long, I've said yes to more things than I can actually do and do well. But you keep saying yes. Why? Because of pride, because of people pleasing, because of the fact that you've got to realize you can't do all things and do all things well. You can't burn the candle at all ends and not burn it out. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is say no to the good because we said yes to the best. Do you remember Jesus on his way to the cross? He was in all these, all these little towns, and they were like, stay, stay, stay. You're healing. You're doing miracles. And Jesus would say, no. He would say no to people wanting him to stay. Yes. He said no to them because he had said yes to the cross. Come on, somebody. Sometimes what we have to do to be well balanced is we have to take it to the Lord. You've got to take it to the Lord. You've got to check with your core values. And then you might have to say no to something that's even good because God and your core values don't have space for it. And that's powerful. And it's necessary because we only have so much capacity. This is one of the things that God started to talk to me about. Now, remember, if you have like a, let's say we have a, a jug. Its capacity is how much liquid or substance it will hold, right? Once it gets full, it can't hold anymore. And we have all kinds of, all kinds of capacity settings, right? Like we have so many hours in a day, so many days in a week. Uh, I have different capacity settings than you based on my bent, uh, based on uh, our energy, based on uh, our interest. We can have different things that we're about. But the bottom line is... We've got to guard and protect our capacity settings because you know what happens if we don't? We get out of balance and we start to cheat our time and our energy and our focus from the things of God and the things that really matter. And I had to, I had to set my mind and keep it set, Colossians 3-2 style, that if anything was going to get cheated, it was not going to be my home and my family. My kiddos were not going to have a dad who had a mistress. They were going to have a dad who put love and affection with his wife and his family. Fathers, you've got you to put that mistress on the altar. Whether, I'm not, and you know I'm not, I mean, if it's another woman, that's a thing, all right? But I'm just saying, get that right. Get that right, son. But a job... Those hobbies, the things that take your time, your attention, and your affection that should be going to home, that's a mistress in your life. And guess what? Wife and kiddos feel that. They know. They know if they're number one, number two, number three, where they're at in your affection and your attention and your love. Even if you lie to yourself and you tell a different narrative... Truth is truth. Okay, let's jump back in here. All right, so we're talking capacity settings. I want to share, I want to share with you guys just a little, a little bit of some of the things that God led me to purpose in my heart. One thing he said is that life is too short. Because sometimes you have this idea, you can just be like, oh, let's just let it pass. It'll work itself out. Grandpa Hubert always said, that's my grandpa, uh, he always quoted James 4, life is like a vapor, 
It's here for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Life is short. Life is short, and it moves. Come on. Somebody agree. The older you get, the faster it gets moving. Right? You turn around, and your three-year-old is, is now in middle school, and then is in high school, and then is going to college. And I'm telling you what, if you haven't Proverbs 22, 6, that kid, then when they get out of college, who knows what Babylon has put into them? you got to train them up in the ways of the Lord so when they're old, they will not depart because the enemy is coming after kids, is trying to steal, kill, and destroy, would sift them as wheat, as Jesus told Peter. But parents, moms and dads, holding the line, showing them love, revealing truth. That's what matters. That's what influences so greatly. And so the Lord starts telling me, you know what? You can either be powerful or pitiful. I was pitiful, right? I was, I, was, I was unhappy. I was complaining. It was everybody else's fault. It was this one's fault. It was that one's fault. And at some point, if all I'm doing is complaining about how everybody else is at fault, I need to have a gut check and decide I'm going to get powerful and be responsible for my own joy. Come on. It's like the person that complains about their schedule and they make their schedule. But in the same respect, you ha we have the responsibility to fill the space in our home with the things of God. And if we're just, if we're just passively letting it happen, come on, somebody. No backbone will get you into bondage through Babylon. End of story. And so, and so if, we're just, if we're just letting everything roll into our kids' eye gates and ear gates and in their, in their windows and in their friend groups, then we are not standing in the gap to protect our kiddos. I'm sorry, but a 5-year-old needs your protection. A 12-year-old needs your wisdom. A 17-year-old still needs dad and mom to love and protect and help them process life. You ain't never too old for your daddies and mommies. And strangely, the older you get, the wiser they are. Well, just saying. Here's, here's what I know. I know that you are, I was called to my job, right? And I believe Colossians 3.23, that whatever you do, you work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to allow my job to have the place and the energy from my family. Because they are, at the end of the day, whether we get a 401k, whether we have a retirement plan, we are going into the ground, right, at some point. I'm just saying. Now, would I rather pour out all my heart and my life and my passion there, or would I rather pass it on? Come on, somebody. For the generations of my kids and my grandkids. I know I'm called to serve the Lord through my job. But I'm telling you what. It can't be over-prioritized beyond my family and my home. Because that is my first and most important call. I don't want to turn around and lose my kids because I served another master. All right. First things first. Orient, that. orient your home around the tent of meeting. The presence of the living God. That's what God spoke to, spoke to us. Was that as the, as the head of the household, I'm in, I am responsible, along with prom, to have vision for my family. 
to spend time with Jesus on my own, but then to, to lead my kiddos in what it looks like to engage the presence, to understand the word. I'm telling you what, we have a great children's department here. But if that is the only time our kids get the word of God put in them or see somebody worship, then I failed. Listen, it's a hard word for me too sometimes. It's stirring me up. It's stirring up to the fact that sometimes I've been asleep at the wheel. Come on, dads. Sometimes we have over-prioritized things that should be undervalued. Another thing. Can I talk, can I talk about those little digital devices? This is amazing, right? What it can do. Like, you know, when we were kids, like computers were, <laughs> computer programs had entire rooms like this that they stored memory and things. And they still couldn't do what this thing can do. It's an awesome tool. However, if my kids see my eyes here, more than they see my eyes here, I'm out of balance. One thing that I purposed in my heart is at the end of my day, that goes away. When I walk through the door from work, I'm home. I want to be present. I want to hear my six-year-old silly story about anything. And I want to be in the moment when my wife's telling me about her day. I don't want to be in the moment thinking about 15 other things and realize, what's going on? What are they talking about? Because my mind's in 15 other spots. I want to be present and engage with them. And for me, do you know what that means? That means during the course of my day, I am daily processing all the things that are happening in my day and I'm taking them to Jesus. See, this is what will happen to me sometimes is I'll go through the doors at work and I switch on work mode. You guys got a work mode where you're just like, I'm here, I'm gonna do what I've done because I've done it and I know how to do it. And I don't make space. Come on, hear me now. I don't make space for Jesus to show up and tell me something different. I don't make space for Jesus to come in and speak his truth because I'm in work mode. God, you put me here. Now I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'll let you know how it goes. What? Okay, so then you know what happens? If I'm not processing with Jesus and coming to him, and bless God. He knew I needed the best processor on the planet. Thank you, Promise Bradley. She she listens and helps me process. And you know what I love? Is she's not the kind of person that just always agrees with me and tells me, yes, baby, they're idiots. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes she does because they are, you know. But probably not as much as I think they are. Just saying. All right. But anyhow, I was given just this beautiful processor to help me get through my day. But I have to be taking things to Jesus because if I don't, do you know what happens? I stuff them down. Okay? And then I come home. And when I'm home, a kid makes a mess, spills something on the floor. Why? Because that's what kids do. Kids make messes. But I Chernobyl. I blow up. And my, and my three-year-old or my six-year-old is getting frustration that's meant for someone who's 50 that's made me mad. Come on. I need to be powerful in the other moments and deal with that situation, take it to Jesus. My kid doesn't have to pay. Come on, somebody. Our kids shouldn't have to pay for someone else's stupid, even if it's mine. All right. Last thing, I want to, last two things I want to tell you. Have fun. Can we have fun? You know what I'm saying? Like, do fun things together. It's all right. Go on vacation. 
Play ball. Enjoy one another. Sometimes fun looks like work. Not as much as my grandpa Hubert thought, but still, it looks like work sometimes, and that's fun. Eat together. Talk together. Be present with each other. I know things are busy, but I feel in this shift, as we're getting out of Babylon, God is calling us to slow things down and to reorient with the person, to really see them, to really hear them, to really be there with them. Remember, life is short. It's the vapor. It's gone in a heartbeat. Your three-year-old's going to be, you're going to be paying for something more. And the Sabbath. This has been major. This has been major in my home. Is to take time and rest together. Honor the Sabbath. Honor the Lord. God did it, right? God worked six days. And on the seventh, he was like, I'm just going to chill. All right? Listen, Sabbath rest is so important. It recharges you. It refocuses you. It re-energizes you. Don't forsake the Sabbath in your homes. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.